Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm John Guidos, the COO of Established and the managing member of Established Ventures and the group behind Startup of the Year that also produces this very podcast. I'm filling in today for my longtime friend and colleague, Frank Gruber, who is currently preoccupied with moving into his new home, which if you're like me, you know, can be a rough and strenuous life event. So we wish him and his family uh, the best of luck with the move, and we'll all see him back here on the next episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we hear Frank's chat with Deepin Parikh, who is one of the founding partners at Courtside Ventures. Courtside Ventures is an early-stage venture capital fund investing across sports, collectibles, wellness and fitness, and gaming, and they just announced their new $100 million fund, which is no small feat, I can assure you of that. <laughs> so um, if you're like me, I'm very interested to hear about that journey, but before we dive into that interview, I want to again take a moment where we feature one of our alumni from our network. So on today's episode, that company is Wherewithal, who was a top five Startup of the Year Summit finalist in Memphis in 2019, and they're now selling their bras and undergarments on at Nordstrom, which is a big deal. Uh, I believe they are also have a patent that's pending for their innovations and in inter- undergarments, so congrats to them for all of their hard work, and we love to see when our alumni are out there doing big things in the world. So congrats. Learn more about them at shopwherewithal.com. Okay, now let's jump into Frank's conversation with Deepin Parikh. All right, Deepin, thanks so much for being here today on the podcast. Excited to talk to you about uh, your your, comp- your VC and, and, and also kind of a little bit more about your background. And so thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Frank. Appreciate it. All right. So for those unfamiliar with what you're up to uh, with Courtside Ventures, can you give us just a you know high level of what you've been up to and how, how you've been building that company for a little while here? Yeah, sure. So Courtside Ventures, uh, we're an early stage fund, free seed through Series A. We really focus on three key areas, and that's sports, lifestyle, and gaming. Um, you know, in each of our funds, we're now investing out of our third fund. In each of our funds. Um, we dive in really heavily into a couple key areas within each of those verticals. And so fund one, we were looking heavily at media as it relates to sports uh, and youth sports. Now in sports, we're looking heavily around sports betting uh, and a couple key areas. So, you know, we have to date invested. We have 80 active portfolio companies. Um, We've invested in eight different countries. Um, and our goal is finding entrepreneurs in the earliest of stages, uh, and working with them through, um, you know, the pre-seed seed A phase, uh, and helping them scale up. Very cool. Congratulations on your, your latest fund. I saw the news recently. It's, it's fund three, a hundred million dollar fund. And, uh, really that's a, that's a big effort. So congrats. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's, uh, certainly been a, a culmination of, of a couple of things, I think just the the evolution of our fund, our team, but also just the the industries as a whole. I mean, when we first launched in 2016, um, you know, we were one of the first funds to really be focused solely on these verticals. And 
in the belief we you know we had in fund one i don't think we would have expected uh in our wildest dreams that the markets would have uh grown as fast as they did and as much capital would have come into these markets over the last seven years yeah that's great and we can talk about that in a minute how, why why that might have happened but i'd noticed um and you mentioned a minute ago about that fund three is really focused on betting infrastructure um you know some 3D kind of generative AI, things like that. I noticed betting and I know a lot of places, a lot of firms, you know, that's in the vice clause, right? Like, so it may not be something that, that they'd invest in. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you've been working to find LPs that are, you know, aligned with you on those different verticals? Yeah. So, you know, our view is that one betting as a word, um, currently in some cases has uh, a negative stigma, right? Which is viewed as betting is is a vice. The truth is betting revenue, uh, just like the lottery, does significantly help uh, a lot of city state budgets. Um, and so our view is that uh, betting will not be the term used in four or five years. It'll all be under the guise of entertainment and gaming. And so we felt that there was a really tremendous opportunity to be an early leader um, of investing in early stage companies in that space, both in and outside the US. Um, and our LP base has been really supportive around that. Um, so we, we're not going out there investing into you know concepts that are super gray or not legal right. by any means. We're, we're doing things that are very much by the law that you know have legal opinions um, to give you a sense i mean we didn't make a single real money or sports betting investment until the repeal of paspa which mm -hmm. is what really opened the floodgates for sports betting in the u.s right and uh, now you're seeing like venue like wrigley field is gonna have like its exactly. own you know we never thought i'd put those words together wrigley field and sports betting are going to happen in the same place like that's right and so you know i think what, what we're seeing is that team owners states it is all becoming a very large part of the fan experience. And so, right. yeah. you know, traditionally what people equate True. betting to is, all right, someone goes and drops a $50,000 bet. Mm -hmm. The truth is, our belief is that the future of betting is not necessarily those big whales as much as it is uh, a form of entertainment that keeps people engaged and tune in to the live games. Yeah, so, makes sense. That, that is, you know, inherently our, our view and thesis on the market. And so, um, you know, we found LPs who have been really supportive. I think there, there will always be some LPs out there who, who will not be comfortable with it. Um, but even in our conversations over the last few years, we've certainly seen a lot of folks uh, be more accepting of the world of betting, mainly because it, it is not meant to be this huge push to, to take money away from people. Um, as much as it is entertainment and it is truly a big driver of tax revenue. No, that makes sense. And I also he was thinking about like, you know, some of the things that had happened in the past, right? Like Pete Rose is banned from baseball and he literally yeah. made the first bet in Cincinnati at their venue. <laughs> like, right. It's crazy. I mean, so uh, hopefully that this kind of trend and, and obviously change in, in, in the way we approach things um, does impact him, and maybe he'll get in the Hall of Fame eventually. But that's that's a whole other topic. Um, what I what I wanted to talk about was your your talk about how it's converging into gaming and, and how it makes a lot of sense to have you know people's skin in the game is going to make them more engaged, right? And that's really what you're betting on. Yep, that's no right. pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about um, get off the topic of, of sports betting. I just thought it was an interesting one. 
um, Courtside Ventures, are you are you both? Are, are, was it, how did you start this? Actually, I want to get the kind of founding story of, of Courtside because I think it's interesting always to find how how this all got to get going. Yeah, so the real genesis of the fund came about when uh, my co-founder in the fund, Vasu Kokarni, um, he, out of his college dorm room at Penn, had started a company called Crossover. And Crossover was a, a data and analytics company targeting um, the youth high school collegiate markets, primarily around basketball and then expanded into other verticals. Um, you know, he ended up raising, um, you know, 25 to $30 million for his business, uh, but not a single one of those investors was considered an institutional VC. Um, you know, sports was viewed as this category where it was really exciting, really fun, but not investable, if you will. And our view was that um, it wasn't so much that sports is an investable, it was just the definition of what falls under sports um, was perhaps not aligned with where the opportunities truly were. And so, you know, our fund is not um, focused on investing into just pure sports tech. We're investing in the future of younger consumers as it pertains to sports, as it pertains to lifestyles, it pertains to gaming, all three massive areas where a lot of dollars are have been going and will continue to grow um, in the coming years. And so we came together in uh, 2015. We were very, very fortunate to have the support of uh, two early investors who uh, made up our, our first fund. Uh, one was a large sports team owner that Vasu had an existing relationship with, uh, and the other was a large public company. And so um, we kicked off our first fund, which was $35 million in January of 2016. And really the goal was how do we go out there and how do we prove to ourselves, the market, our LPs, portfolio companies, that these markets that we were going after are truly venture scale. And in that first fund, we were, we were really fortunate. We, we were one of the first uh, investors in The Athletic, which uh, last year sold to New York Times for 550 million. We were one of the first investors in StockX um, and a number of other companies as well. So um, it's, you know, what started out is, is more trying to prove the, the market validation of, of real venture scale type opportunities, I think it's turned into an entire, um, you know, sector of growth from an early stage standpoint. Right, now that makes sense. And your your first um, your first couple were were the well, first company was that you just mentioned. The athletic is is obviously media. That first fund was it focused on mainly media, or what was the focus again? Yeah, the the focus was was still sports and gaming, right? So we we looked at it, but if you look in sports particularly, we weren't doing anything in betting because it was still pre passable repeal. Um, we were looking at media, we were looking at youth sports, we were looking at live streaming infrastructure and technology, kind of this whole chain of like content capture, content creation, content consumption, content distribution. Um, so we were certainly more focused on media, not only from a uh, individual platform standpoint, but also technology and infrastructure. And then we were really heavily involved in the world of esports um, and other parts of gaming. And yeah. so... You know, I think our view always and our belief is that as a vertically focused fund, um, we should be able to identify trends um, earlier. And so within each of our funds, you'll see a, a differing view 
uh, on what we're going after, right? Versus right. The previous fund. Um, just because the, you know, the world changes pretty dramatically, consumer behaviors, consumption, all of that changes pretty dramatically. And so, um, yeah, but fund one was very heavily focused around media, um, infrastructure and media and live streaming, and then also esports and, um, fitness as well. No, that's great. Um, so I'm curious about like, so many ways I could take this cause I, I'd love to get, let's, let's just play trend, trend reader, futurist, if you will. Um, you know, with the the e e gaming e sports you know gaming kind of side of it, what um, what do you where do you see that going? Like, where do you you know? I know it, it's come a long way even in the very short time that people have been doing it. But where let's put our ten year hat on or twenty year hat on, and what how do you see that being playing out as far as um, how big is it going to get? How you know is it going to be something we're consuming like regular sports you know like watching it on television like that kind of thing i would love to get your take as you know as you look at these different opportunities that you invest in yeah so you know i would say our view just like a lot of other folks in the market around pure esports is certainly as as at least investments has certainly um soured we're still believers in esports we're still believers in brands we're still believers in gaming as a whole absolutely Right. So if you're able to build a lifestyle brand off of esports and esports is one component of it, big believers there. Uh, the nature of um, investing heavily into esports is not something that really excites us right now. Uh, part of it is esports is really a small subset of the overall gaming sector. Right. And I think what we've all learned over the last six, seven years in esports is that um, revenue has been harder to come by. Um, whether that means revenue from uh, team ownership, whether that means revenue from sponsorship platforms, revenue from data and analytics. A lot of it comes down to the fact that the video game publishers own um, the rights uh, to their content. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily uh, a fully baked out ecosystem yet in terms of IP ownership um distribution there's no doubt that the viewership is there right like yeah. you know you can point to twitch you can point to uh mm -hmm. youtube you can see that the the actual viewership is there yeah not doubting that the question is how monetizable is that outside of the creator themselves mm -hmm. and so you know that's where we that's where our view kind of sits gaming as a whole mm -hmm. uh, i don't know if we've ever had as much conviction as we do right now. Um, the market is, you know, incredibly exciting. I think there's a lot of capital that is uh, gonna be continue flooding into the market. Um, but gaming's a pretty wide uh, market, right? You look at everything from console, PC, mobile, uh, every part of the country or every part of the world um, functions differently from a gaming standpoint, right? Like you look at India where console penetration is, I mean, absolutely minuscule, but it's a mobile first economy where a lot of people, you know, don't even have computers and they're playing uh, games in a completely different way than we're playing here. So that's what's exciting about gaming as a whole, um, because g gaming is going to be pervasive in all parts of our lives. Right. Like you can point to a dating app and say that that is gaming. Uh, read something good today about how Duolingo ultimately is a gaming uh, yeah. platform. Right. So like gamification 
um, is going to be a massive, massive part of all of our lives. It already is, right. but it's going to be even more so a part of our lives. Um, we may not call it gaming. No, everything's right. got social experience. Anything with a social experience that's an app or you know tries to make you do something has gamification built in, right? That's kind of a, a table stake at this point. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, there's probably technology and things you're looking at that could you know, be totally different that, that is also considered gaming. Really interesting. I'm curious. I, yeah, I also thought about like the trends, right? That are happening, right? Have you, um, have you thought about investing in a pickleball team or maybe a soccer team uh, or anything like that? Is that, those seem to be trends that I've seen a lot of people pop up or as, as things are investing in. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm a huge believer in pickleball uh, as a whole, you know, internally at our fund, we've had a lot of ongoing discussion around the category. Yep. We, we generally do not invest in teams and pure leagues. Got it. Okay. Uh, our, our belief is, is it's not necessarily venture scale. Mm -hmm. I do believe in the future of the sport, whether it's Padel, Pickleball. Um, we are big believers in the future. I mean, this is Pickleball in particular. What really excites me, it's one of the few sports in the world that truly transcends age, where right. you have a 10-year-old playing and an 80-year-old playing. Yeah, like golf. I mean, exactly. Exactly. Yep. yep. Ex except far more accessible. Yeah, right? way more accessible. You don't have to move as much. <laughs> right. You don't yeah, have to yeah. move as much, and you yep. can find courts pretty easily Everywhere. in in urban or suburban environments. Yep. Um, albeit they're not enough courts, and hopefully there will be more. But mm -hmm. um, it, it is just that that's a really exciting mm -hmm. part of the market right now. So we we've looked at, you know, certainly a hundred plus companies in and around pickleball. Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting. The whole category. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everything from real estate, new entertainment concepts to court uh, refurbishment, uh, um, camps, clinics to, um, you know, database type businesses trying to build, you know, the biggest uh, membership bases. So we, we've, we've seen a lot. We definitely have not seen it all. We'd love to see more, uh, but we're trying to frame our view on it. I, I imagine we will do something in the space. Um, we're just not rushing into it right now. Right. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I mean, it is a trend. It's happening. Um, I was just curious because I, I see it all the time, you know, like, oh, you know, this athlete or that athlete or this person is, is part of this league or whatever. And it just caught my attention, obviously, also starting to play as well. So I was curious. All right. So what other focus areas are you excited about? Like you, you mentioned, we talked about a few, like what others just like gets you going? You're like really hunting down the right next thing in the, that category. In terms of co companies themselves, or just like, what themes, uh, themes, or, or yeah, yeah. What, what, what are you looking for particularly? Yeah, so look, anything in real money gaming as a whole is really interesting to us. Um, so you know, one thing we we have really focused on, we'll continue to focus on, is taking ideas that we're really and models that we're really familiar with in the U.S. and then identifying other markets around the world. Uh, and trying to back the best founders that are building that out. So to give you an example, um, you know, we, we're large investors in a company called Winzo, which is one of the biggest skill-based real money gaming platforms in India. Um, you know, that came about, um, you know, because my partner Kai had been on a panel for a conference in India. But what got us up to speed with that business pretty quickly was the fact that we knew skill-based real money gaming really well in the U.S. market. We had spent time on some of the larger players, some of the smaller players, um, and the India market was something we'd been looking a lot at. So the, the idea of um, finding opportunities in the world of skill-based 
real money gaming or gaming as a whole outside the US um, is really, really intriguing for us. So we, we've done something similar for, for sports betting in Brazil, Mexico, Africa, um, India, more skill-based real money because sports betting is not legal. But yeah, we're, we're trying to continue to grow um, the actual uh, knowledge that we have here in the U.S. and expand into other parts of the world where we can help founders in the early stages scale up. Wow, truly international. You've, you've, you've got a lot of different uh, different countries represented there. Really interesting. Um, and I guess you could dive into the how does due diligence work there, but I think the better question now is just kind of keep moving along here with, you met that founder in India. What did that, what what clicked with you with that? I mean, you, you definitely had the, the theme and the trend that you were trying to, you know, invest in but also there had to be something about that founding team or that group that kind of caught your attention and so i wanted to talk about the qualities you're looking for and some of the founders you, you meet yeah i mean look I'll, I'll tell you the um my, my partner kai had led that round so he can speak more to it but the, the truth is something that stood out to us immediately was they are just laser sharp executors um, their execution ability to execute was really top notch. They were repeat founders um, and they understood the local dynamics. I mean, we were fortunate by the time we came in, the business was already doing a little bit of revenue. Um, and so there was clearly uh, an understanding of the consumer, um, but just absolute laser focus. Um, you know, I would say the qualities that we look for in founders, um, you know, it, it obviously that is the most important piece of, of everything we do. Um, but the things that I'm, I'm currently just spending a lot of time around many founders is can, can you sell a big vision, but can you remain really, really disciplined in terms of your focus? It is hard to do, right? Like if you're trying to build a big business and a big vision, a lot of times it's really challenging to go out there and avoid distractions. Um, and you know, there's some really good founders in our portfolio who have done an amazing job of just staying really, really focused despite the, you know, crazy melee that existed over the last few years. Uh, and then the other, I think, really important quality, especially as you're going through these tough times where, you know, so many companies have had to uh, conduct layoffs and amazing talent um, was let go. You got to have real empathy. Um, I think empathy is a really underrated skill um, for early stage founders. Um, you know, if you are going to be able to sell a big vision, even if you do layoffs and and for the remaining people at the company, you got to you got to speak to them um, in a way that is is really empathetic. Right. Like people's valuations are perhaps half of what they were or a quarter of what they were. People mm -hmm. got to buy into your vision and they got to understand that you understand them. Mm -hmm. No, great, great points. Um, is there anything you could point a, a founder to to kind of learn empathy or, or be more empathetic? Like anything you've you've seen or or talked to other founders about? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think look for a lot of people, it, it comes inherently. Uh, for others, it, it's just experience. Being humbled, being humbled creates empathy at the end of the day. Uh, and I think a lot of founders, whether your company has raised a billion dollars or $10 million or a million dollars, um, a lot of founders and VCs, ourselves included, absolutely, uh, have been humbled over these last nine months and will continue to be uh, as the market continues to correct. Um, and so I think that um, experience and having gone through a market 
um, like the one we're going through now will create more empathy. Oh, great, great points there. And I was curious as you close this $100 million round or fund uh, three, did you have any challenging times there with the markets or, or is that not impacted because the folks, folks you're working with didn't, you know, didn't really see the blip? Um, just wanted to understand that a little bit more. And then, you know, I guess talk about some of the more challenging things you've had to deal with as an investor. Man, I, I would absolutely be lying if I said we did not have challenges along the way. Um, fundraising is tough, right? Like every VC uh, should go through it every three years, which we do two, three years uh, to recognize that it, it is a, a challenging journey that every founder must go through. Um, and so I, you know, for us, absolutely, there are challenges, you know, we, we started raising and uh, the markets were, were flying pretty high when we first started raising. And then, you know, we, we had the correction um, come April. And so, you know, trying to make it through that and close a fund was, was not uh, or announce a fund was right. not easy. Um, and, you know, I think we were in a good position right now. And, you know, timing and luck is, is a big factor. Um, you know, had we started six months later, uh, I don't know if we would have gotten to the stage we're currently at in terms of announcing our fund. Um, I think the fact that we were able to um, start when we did and we had some really good exits in our first fund, so we had some real DPI to show, um, those were real, um, real competitive advantages for us to go out and get this fund done. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the athletic, obviously, big exit. There were other things that like, were that was that the do you think that's the biggest thing that kind of helped you the most? Or what do you think the biggest thing with your track record was that kind of helped you get that over the finish line? Yeah, I think a couple things. One, exits are always there's nothing bigger than being able to uh, give LPs capital back um, to get more LPs excited about investing into your fund. And so the, the exit, the athletic was was certainly the biggest driver for us. We had a couple other, um, you know, really good exit, secondary transactions, stuff like that, that also helped us return quite a bit of capital. Um, and in addition to that, I think being being around for a little while helps, right? Like I can look at, I can point directly to our evolution between fund one, fund two, fund three. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes along the way. But it's pretty, you know, clear to us to see certain areas where we we improved over time in our fundraise, um, and it made us hopefully not only more attractive but also uh, created more trust because we've been in market longer. Um, and then the third piece is, um, you know, identifying people who are actually high conversion LPs. Right? For us, if you have no interest in sports, gaming, the world of collectibles, like we're not a fit. At the end of the day and so a lot of times you try to convince people um you know of your verticals but if there's not a genuine interest or people want exposure to these markets um you know you're you're just going to be in that game of trying to convince people over and over and it just takes a long time yeah that makes sense as well as in you're, you're it's like you're fishing right you're fishing where the fish are versus exactly. trying to you know exactly. create the pond and put the fish in there <laughs> you <know>? yep. <laughs> yeah so okay so that, that that's that's uh really interesting i think we're, we're almost at time and I, I i could keep talking to you for hours i'm a huge uh sports fan too we didn't ask talk about sports that much other than kind of the, the things that you're investing in are you a sports fan and if so what are your teams huge sports fan man um you know that this is certainly uh the closest that i'm gonna get to uh playing 
any sport professionally. Uh, and so, you know, I grew up a diehard sports fan, played every sport growing up. It was one of those, um, you know, really fortuitous situations. I mean, every time I talk to my parents uh, about work, they're always like, man, like, this is your dream, right? Um, and, and the truth is, it, it, it is. Obviously, it is a job at the same time, but um, there's real passion there. And so, uh, personally, I, I grew up in the Baltimore, Maryland area, um, about 20 minutes outside Baltimore, diehard, diehard Ravens fan. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to be trying to convince my young kids to also be Ravens fans. We'll see how that pans out. Um, <laughs> the, the Ravens, Orioles, uh, went to University of Maryland, so I'm a big Terps fan. Nice. Um, and then Caps and uh, also Nationals as well. So, you know, kind of play that Maryland, D.C., Virginia corridor. Yep, a lot of great teams there. A lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, enthusiasts as well with you there. So big region, a lot of good sports. So that's great, great to hear. Um, so where do you see it going here? We got a few minutes left. You've, you've been doing this for, you know, about what is it now? Seven years ish, right? <laughs> if we, yep. you know, it depends how you count it, right? Um, what do you, where do you see it going in the next five, five to ten? Where do you want to take courtside ventures? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think every fund. Uh, you announce, people often ask, like, how big is your next fund going to be? And the truth is, we don't really have uh, the aspiration of, of raising a, you know, our next fund being a 500, 750 million billion dollar fund. I think at the end of the day, we're early stage investors. That's what we like to do. That's where we think our real expertise and, and value add is. And so our, our hope is that we continue to raise uh, funds that you know, in this size range, whether that's, you know, 100, 150, um, maybe up 200, but, you know, really not trying to go and build um, massively large individual funds because we, we want to stay early stage focused um, as, as much as we possibly can because we think that's where the biggest opportunities are. Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, so next up, uh, you got anything you wanted to share with our audience that we didn't talk about we talked about a lot of different things but any anything coming up or ways they can better better get in touch with you if they've got a startup that maybe fits the right criteria anything like that yeah please always reach out um you know you you can either go to our site courtsidevc.com and find my information or my email directly is just deepen d-e-e-p-e-n at courtsidevc.com uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me um, really on on any of the the major platforms. But email is usually the easiest, or, or Twitter. So um, for for any founder, uh, anyone listening, if if you have an interesting idea, company, um, reach out. We we can never see enough, and you know we we've learned. We've actually made a couple investments. Some of our biggest investments came into us cold. And so we, we really respect um, the idea and kind of courage it takes to reach out. Um, and we will certainly take a look at everything. May not respond to every single thing, but we always look at everything that comes in, regardless of what channel it comes to. That's great. And founders, remember, Deepin's busy, so keep it tight. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> want to hear your thesis, so he wants to hear the short version of what you're trying to do. So get him the details so he can make a decision if it makes sense to get you in there. And uh, Deepin, thank you so much for being here and, and sharing the uh, conversation with me today and, and with the rest of our, our, our community here. Let's start with you. Awesome, Frank. Really appreciate you having me on. 
Wow, fascinating stuff from deep and being a huge sports fan. Um, I know that I really enjoyed that conversation and it's always you know, fun to hear some of those intricacies and how things work that maybe not all of us are always exposed to. So fascinating stuff there. And, um, you know, hopefully they're going to keep doing some, some big things and that's it for our show today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please feel free to share it with someone that you think will find it helpful. As Frank always says, sharing is caring. And as always, if you have a startup idea or want to get something going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get out there, whether it be a pen and paper or on your computer, and start taking those steps to creating the next uh, company that's going to change the world. And in doing so, we encourage you to join the community for access to support, expert advice, and all the resources you need to elevate your startup by going to SOTY.link forward slash apply. Until next time, I'm John Guidos filling in for Frank Gruber. I want to challenge you all that before the next episode, I want you to wake up every morning and attack every task of your day with relentless enthusiasm and try to do it better than anyone has ever done it in the past history of mankind. And uh, hopefully that'll help you achieve some of your goals out there. Have a great day. Keep on starting up. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.